Welcome to the Bellew Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to the podcast. Good to have you with us as the global recovery from COVID-19 continues on a number of fronts. Of course, this is the ELNC Bailey podcast where we help you make sense of the market, the economy and the outlook. It's also where we keep you up to date with our very latest research and analysis. And on that note, I welcome today's guest, Malcolm Wood, Chief Investment Officer. Hello, Mal. G'day, Nick. So it's been about a month since we have caught up, Mal. The equity market up is up. Australian equity market is up close to 10% since then. Um, we've obviously had a huge amount of economic news. We've got some fantastic vaccine news, which we can get into, some good progress on COVID itself in Australia, particularly Victoria. As we speak uh, today, there are zero active cases in Victoria. It's unbelievable. Uh, we've had a US, uh, a US election and uh, some important research by, uh, by your good self, Mal. So um, you are in upgrade mode at the moment. The title of your recent note is Raising Your ASX 200 Target, and you've identified seven reasons to justify the upgrade. So an upgraded outlook with seven reasons to go with it. So, Mal, let's go through those reasons. The first couple of reasons that you articulate are COVID-related. So, one, major vaccine news, and two, Australia's handling of the pandemic. How do you see both of those items? Yes, yeah, so, Nick, the, the great news is three successful vaccines uh, from Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca, Oxford. Uh, so, I think that has two effects. One, it uh, gives us a timeline for... Uh, the the most vulnerable part of the population to be vaccinated. And it also says that we just need to get a bridge between here and there. And in Australia's case, because we're managing the virus well, uh, the bridge doesn't have to be over much of a valley. Whereas, you know, obviously in places like uh, Europe, there's one big valley that they need to cross. So uh, on both score, on both counts, Australia comes up well. So in terms of timing, when do you envisage um, in Australia vulnerable people will get access to the vaccine and then the population at large? What's your expected timing on those two? Yeah, I think that um, emergency use approval from the US FDA seems highly likely for the Pfizer drug uh, at the start of December. Uh, in the case of the AstraZeneca drug, the EU has been doing rolling reviews on that one as it goes. Uh, so we'd expect that to receive approval pretty shortly after submission as well. And I think there's a strong case for Australia not to be too far behind. Of course, uh, the, the, the situation here suggests we can have a little bit of a longer look than those countries, but uh, I wouldn't think we'd be far behind. It would look bad if there were a, uh, if there were to be a third wave and we've sat on the vaccine, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I, th I think that the likelihood is it'll be weeks after the US and Europe move. And uh, given we've got access to 10 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine and I think about 34 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, I think the target population should be um, should be vaccinated by the end of the first quarter. Um, so your next two reasons are government intervention related. So monetary policy 
number one, and fiscal stimulus, number two. Uh, We've talked about these two items before on the podcast, but I guess from a fiscal stimulus perspective, the numbers keep adding up. Oh, they do. And uh, uh, we published this note uh, a couple of days ago, and now we've had the Victoria budget, so the number just gets larger. So we published... uh, on our count, 19.5% of GDP in fiscal stimulus from the federal and state governments to date. And with the Victoria news, I guess we're up to about 22.5%. This is extraordinary, just extraordinary numbers. When you consider that the probable cost of the lockdown is in the range of 3 to 4% of GDP. So this is, it's using a sledgehammer uh, to to swat the uh, to swat the insect, you might say, and uh, on the monetary side, uh, the Reserve Bank belatedly has stepped up with um, quantitative easing, uh, 100 billion dollars over the next six months. So that to, to do uh, in conjunction with their term funding facility, which is cheap funding to the banks, suggests to us that there'll be about a 10% of GDP expansion in their balance sheet over the next six months. So that is also extremely positive. So on both counts, Nick, uh, on the policy sides, both counts, there's been a step up and it's surprised us how aggressive the policymakers have been. I mean, the interesting thing on fiscal stimulus is not only is the numbers so large, but really it's the first proper fiscal stimulus, aside from a brief period in the GFC. Outside of that, we haven't really had meaningful stimulus from a fiscal perspective in 25, almost 30 years, really. Well, this is certainly the biggest since the GFC. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it, it dwarfs the GFC. And uh, yes, so it's, it's, it's dramatic. So with this stimulus so large, and as we've talked about previously, you know, the, the central banks around the world are going to let inflation mm. run. Um, is there too much stimulus? Yeah, yeah. No, they, we, could, we could easily be in a situation akin to 2009 where Rudd Swan came out with the big fiscal stimulus and then the economy rebounded quickly and the Reserve Bank said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, we can use this as an opportunity to lift rates and get back to normal. Of course, there's a difference here in that the Reserve Bank said, we want inflation to be much higher. I mean, other central banks are saying the same thing. We want employment to be pretty close to full employment as opposed to approaching full employment before we move. We, in fact, are going to base policy on actual inflation, not forecast inflation, These are all dramatic shifts in the way in which monetary policy is being managed. So that says to us that we get a good run here of very strong growth before there's any uh, response from the policymakers. Okay. And speaking of fiscal stimulus, um, a little diversion for a second. What's your view on a a Biden-US victory and can we expect further stimulus in the US economy? I think there's broad uh, a broad based view in the US that there is need for a second round of fiscal stimulus. Um, I think that as the vaccines come through, the magnitude of that should be quite a bit lower than it was required beforehand. Uh, but nonetheless, I think there's a view that uh, there will be uh, further fiscal stimulus and I dare say they will want to be seen to be doing something. Um, so uh, the bid offer before the election 
was uh, somewhere around 1.2 to 1.5 trillion from the Republicans, and as low as 2.2 trillion from the Democrats. Uh, so uh, where we end up falling will depend very much on the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Uh, if if it remains Republican controlled, remember there's these two runoff elections in Georgia uh, in January the 5th. If it remains Republican controlled, then uh, we'll probably end up closer to the Republican number, I would think. Okay. And so coming back to Australia, the V-shaped recovery, Mal, that's uh, the fifth uh, reason that you point to. Um, It's uh, been your contention for quite some months now, to your credit. Um, There's a heap of data, uh, but it seems to be uh, coming to the consensus view of a V-shaped Australian recovery. Yeah. So, you know, we follow follow about 12 lead indicators religiously, uh, Nick and 10 of those 12 are, believe it or not, above pre-COVID levels and rising strongly. The other two are rising strongly, but it's not quite there. So we look at consumer indicators, uh, housing-related, business sentiment-related, export-related sectors, the labour market, the stock market, monetary measures, as I say, the broad gamut of those is saying we're in a very strong recovery. And the one, the key one that I want to draw uh, people's attention to is actually on the front page if you get a chance to look at the note, but it's comparing the, the NAB business confidence survey to earnings growth. And it's here that we're arguing that business confidence will surge higher to levels that we haven't seen for many years similar to the post-GFC environment. And with that, earnings will have a 50% rise, much as they had in the post-GFC environment. And that's going to be the, if that plays out, that's going to be the biggest uh, short-term rise in um, corporate Australia, uh, you know, since the GFC, but, but probably on track to be the biggest in 20 or 30 years. Absolutely right. And I think this is the point that, When you listen to commentators, bear in mind that no one, unless they're older than me, has seen um, a V-shaped recovery in Australia. Because the last one was early 1980s, and then there were ones in the 70s, but nobody's seen one in the last 40 years. Yeah. So the sixth reason that you point to, Mel, is that... uh, on the other side of what we're talking about, the concerns have been receding, so the weakening mm. bear case. So mm. we've talked about the good management and an unlikely third wave in Australia. Bad debt uh, provisions have stabilised with the potential for write-backs and, and the fiscal cliff um, you know, is now not a reality given the additional stimulus that's been put into the economy. Mm. So you know, really a tick sheet of potential things that could go wrong that don't, don't look like they're going wrong. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about valuation, which is your seventh um, mm. and sort of concluding point of the note, Mal, because, um, you know, we haven't talked about valuation for actually a fair amount of time now because we didn't know what earnings were going to be. We didn't know what dividends were going to be. But we're getting a better sense of it now on the earnings recovery, as we've just discussed. So if I put to you that the long-term Australian, uh, the, the, the long-term PE of the Australian equity market is about 15 times and the long-term mm. um, average dividend yield is about 4%, mm. where are we now with that in mm-hmm. Australia? Yeah, yeah. So we look expensive. 
So uh, 20 times is the PE and uh, just under 3.5% is the dividend yield. Uh, but this is where it's important to put this in context. Two important points. One is the earnings recovery. So the earnings expectations are just uh, above the trough levels at this point. So they're not forecasting or assuming anything like the earnings recovery I'm expecting. Mm -hmm. And secondly, obviously a massive change from the past is the discount rate. And you know, discount rates are used to value almost any uh, financial asset. But the discount rate we, we've got at the moment is sub 1%. And we haven't seen anything like that in Australia's history. And so, you know, the practical implication means that, you know, you can sustain higher higher valuations for longer. So actually 20 Correct. times doesn't look Correct. all that so, all that bad. So, so just to put, to put some numbers around that, if we see something like our V-shaped recovery, the PE drops to 15, but against a, let's call it a 0 to 1% discount rate, that actually looks, still looks attractive to us. Yeah. So hence our view that there's still significant further upside in the market, despite the recovery we've seen today. And so the 20 times for Australia, how does that compare to other markets at the moment? Yeah, so we're not cheap. Uh, the US is on about 22 times, uh, but other major markets are, are cheaper. Uh, so Europe is about 17, Japan a little bit lower than that. Emerging markets uh, around 15 times. So they're the cheapest of course, in general, you would say political risk is higher in emerging markets, hence the discount rate. But emerging markets have had a great earnings recovery. Uh, so we still like those. Yeah. The other thing I think that's worth discussing, Mal, is dividends because, um, you know, banks account for about third, the major banks account for about 30% of the uh, the market cap of Australia, but probably 50% or more of dividends. Now, mm -hmm. dividends for banks... Uh, you could argue artificially low at the moment because you've had APRA intervention and the dividends on their direction are capped to reporting earn reported earnings and they're well down the list of priorities according to APRA. So they've been instructed to build provisions for bad debts, to provide capital for growth and then dividends and even then dividends are, are, are capped. So with the imp economy improving as you're talking about, there's going to be need for lower provisions less businesses need help. APRA at some point will withdraw this directive, this guidance. Dividends will lift. The market yield, because the banks account for such a big part of the market, the market yield will lift, which will then again help valuations uh, for the overall market. So as that plays out, and I've spoken to our banks analyst, Nick Cayley, you know, potentially somewhere either just before or just after CBA's result in February is when APRA might turn mm -hmm. around and say, well, yep. this, this directive can be unwound now. So that is another catalyst that can help particularly income-focused investors see a path to a, to a higher market. Absolutely right. And, you know, just to put that in context, of course, the gap between the dividend yield and interest rates is just around record highs at this point in time, even with the rebound that we've seen in markets. So if dividends are restored, then that gap will probably be pretty close to a record again.
Yeah. Okay, so there are your seven reasons, Mal. The conclusion of all that is you've ingre- increased your index target for the ASX 200 index from um, 6,750 to 7,250, which is a, an 8% upgrade for the market, which is you know reasonably substantial. So um, you've outlined in your report some key exposures that are beneficiaries of this upgrade cycle. Uh, what, are your, what are your key exposures there? Yeah, so, Nick, we've got the banks, as we've just touched on, and uh, we listed uh, really any of the major banks, but we've listed CBA and Westpac as our preferreds. Yep. Um, so that's working with Nick, as well as uh, I think the regional banks are interesting uh, because of this shift to work from home and uh, the shift to the regions could, I think, be a real winner for them. And we've got uh, Bank of Queensland in there for that. Um, then when you go beyond that, you start to get into some of the dis- what, what we could call the disrupted uh, COVID plays. So on that score, we've got um, a couple of the transport names. Um, like uh, Qantas and Cube. Qantas, of course, major beneficiary of border reopening and uh, against a weakened competitor in Virgin. Yep. And uh, they've taken a lot of cost out. Cube, as we all import cars, because uh, there'll be a major uh, vehicle, new vehicle cycle. Um, in the entertainment space, Star Entertainment, as you get um, you know, easings of restrictions enabling people to get back into their casinos, uh, events, hospitality as uh, hotels and cinemas uh, reopen and restart. Um, in, look, there's quite a few retailers we've liked. Of course, a lot of those have performed well. So one of them that we think still got legs is Super Retail Group. Um, in the insurers, uh, IAG's just raised a lot of capital um, against the, the business pandemic insurance issue uh, but we think there's room for a premium cycle there. Uh, and then housing, look, we've liked the housing plays. We still do. This is more a US story than an Australian story. Uh, so James Hardy and Reliance Worldwide are our preferreds there. And then finally, business has got a lot of money being thrown at it by the government, whether it be uh, JobKeeper, cash flow support, um, job subsidies now, the instant asset write-off. What are they going to spend on? And we think people will be re-employing, so seek and spending on capital equipment. So Downer uh, should benefit from that. So there's a short list of some of the beneficiaries that we see. And I guess you, uh, employing someone now is going to be cheaper um, uh, because you don't need a desk for them, do you? You can just uh, <laughs> just an internet connection and uh, away you go. Um, Hamel, so that's an extensive list uh, contained in your report. I was going to add one sector, and that's the wealth or asset management sector. Uh, it's worthwhile talking about about that. Um, Australia, as many people know, is home to some great asset management businesses, some fantastic brands with you know, long-term track records, uh, people like Magellan, uh, Perpetual or, or, or Platinum. Um, a couple of reasons why these are beneficiaries um, of the current environment. One is that you know, we're talking about upgrades to equity markets, um, and these are asset managers, and on average, 70% of total assets within an asset manager are 
equity assets. So equity markets go up, asset manager earnings go up. So that's a, a positive thing for, for that sector. And also, interestingly, they're cheap, right? These, these businesses now are trading on discounts to the market at PEs anywhere between 10 and 14 times. So you've got earnings upside and relatively cheap valuation. Um, so, uh, so, so we think that's what, worthwhile having a think about as well. Um, our key picks there, Mal, would probably be IOOF, uh, Pendle, Janice Henderson and, uh, and Perpetual. Uh, but that is a, an indirect, I guess, uh, a, a beneficiary of the market going up, not necessarily the economy, but uh, it still ends up with earnings upgrades nonetheless. And, of course, uh, Nick, um, what, one of the interesting things we've seen in this, uh, in this cycle is uh, no collapse of balance sheets because, you know, because of the government fiscal support. In fact, I think the banks have been inundated with deposits uh, I think my count was last count was two hundred and forty billion dollars have flowed into uh, into bank deposits, which are earning well, let's call it zero. Uh, so there's got to be a chance some of that flows into your wealth managers as well, hasn't there? Yeah. So the inflow environment is going to be positive. Um, so that is good for their business, but also, frankly, for their PE rating, uh, because if there's higher growth, they'll attract a higher PE rating than they're currently on. And then actually these businesses are all well capitalised themselves. So there's actually a fair bit of M&A activity going on as well, which is a potential, you know, uh, sort of third way that uh, shareholders can benefit from uh, from the current environment. Anyway, that is just one of, of many sectors as we've discussed. Um, Mal, let's, uh, let's sum up with your preferred asset allocation. Obviously, you have outlined a, a very articulate case for overweight Australian equities. How do we view that in the context of the rest of uh, one's portfolio? Yes, yeah, so we've uh, we, we've moved through this whole uh, COVID situation from being underweight Australia to being significantly overweight Australia. Uh, so we think that our outlook here is particularly robust. Hence the V recovery and the earnings outlook and the overweight. Uh, internationally, we we to help fund that shift, we've been back at an equal weight for some time now. Uh, within that uh, preference for emerging markets, which have performed very well. Uh, but given that valuation discount we alluded to earlier, we still see pretty good support for emerging markets, particularly in a good global recovery. Um, so that's the equity side. On the fixed income side, with interest rates pretty well at zero everywhere and bond yields not much above that, we are underweight uh, that space, preferring to have uh, managers who really manage risks uh, around the, the fixed income space at this point in time. We still like some select credit and uh, infrastructure in that, uh, in that sort of more defensive asset classes. So broadly speaking, overweight, as, as overweight as we can be in growth assets, yep. uh, equities domestically and internationally, underweight fixed income and slightly underweight cash. Okay. Upgraded earnings expectations for the market as a whole. Mal's note was published on the 24th of November. The title is Raising ASX 200 Target to an Index Record of 7,250. Uh, my report on the wealth management sector, following up some of that detail there, um, is the Wealth Management Winds of Change is the title, and that was published on the 12th of November. Both of those reports are available through our website or, of course, your ELNC Value Advisor. Mal, good to catch up. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Nick. All the best. 
You have been listening to The Value Podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessments about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned.